Hello, this is Mark Peacock, and welcome to the Travel Commons Podcast. This is Travel Commons Podcast number 175, recorded Sunday, May 9th, 2021. This is the podcast giving the voice of the traveler. It's more about the journey than the destination. Two topics on this edition of the Travel Commons Podcast, how to find local tour guides and rebuilding those travel muscles. Coming to you again from the Travel Commons studios in Chicago, Illinois. Happy Mother's Day to all the mothers listening. Uh, Just one bit of travel since the last episode, a uh, drive down in Asheville, Tennessee, uh, right at about a year ago. This drive was my first post-lockdown trip. I talked about it at the uh, start of episode 164, uh, again, a year ago. No one was on the road save for a few trucks and a few folks like me. It was a drag race, a complete drag race down I-65, 80, 85 miles an hour the whole way, maybe dropping down to 70 going through Indianapolis and Louisville. You couldn't be sure which restaurants had their drive throughs open, so car snacks were definitely a key. But now it's back to the normal drive. Lots of trucks and having to jockey for position with them on the two-lane stretches of I-65, slowdowns through construction zones, and now having to think again about timing that drive, so I thread through Chicago, Indianapolis, Louisville, and Nashville without hitting any rush hours. And back then, a year ago, the restaurants that were open were only doing takeout. So I ate in my hotel room every night, which actually led to me putting bring-your-own-dining-room sets as an item on my 2020 Traveler's Gift Guide some six months later. One thing that hasn't changed, though, is that hotels are not cleaning rooms during the stay. On this trip, I was in a courtyard for four days, and no one but me walked into that room. I, you know, i got to start to wonder... At what level of COVID cases, so how far down do COVID cases need to get or how far up do total vaccination rates need to get before hotels get back to normal service? Because walking back into my room to the smell of damp, wet towels every day or having to find a haul garbage can to throw out the takeaway Korean is actually getting a bit old. I do give that courtyard points, though, for bringing back the free lobby coffee. I'm heading down to Miami tomorrow morning for my first post-pandemic business trip. At the start of the year, everyone was talking about how business travel won't come back until the end of 2022 or maybe even into 2023. And even then, it won't come all the way back because Zoom and Teams have replaced the need for, I don't know, 20, 30 percent of business trips. But, you know, the TSA now is regularly reporting new highs in post-pandemic checkpoint traffic. 1.63 million passengers last Sunday, the first Sunday of May, and 1.64 million earlier this week, the first Thursday of May. It's They're averaging eight times the traffic from the same weekdays last year. And I don't think it's all leisure travel. I'm starting to see some 2019 behaviors coming back. Executives flying out to a plant, say, to do a one-hour town hall in person. People coming together physically in an office conference room to get around some whiteboards and solve problems. Is it Zoom fatigue or maybe reversion to the mean, at least for the vaccinated? I don't know, but I'm kind of looking forward to getting back in that business travel saddle. Well, except for the fact that uh, Monday's horse is a 7 a.m. rush hour flight out of O'Hare.
So following up, in the last episode, I talked about the spike of publicity around the deterioration of Uber and Lyft's service. Spiraling wait times that lead to big price surges that then lead to drivers canceling so that they can maximize their pay. It's not getting any better. I retweeted an Uber driver's screenshot showing no cars at O'Hare or Midway on a Sunday night, which is prime time with people coming home from weekend trips. And it's not a one-off event, especially at Midway. It's also starting to make people rethink travel plans. A colleague on this Miami trip next week moved from a Hyatt to a Marriott that's closer to our meeting place because she said she just couldn't trust Uber to show up in time. And even for me, I'll get up earlier tomorrow morning than I really usually do or than I need to so that I've got the option to catch public transit to O'Hare in case Uber or Lyft fail and then I can't find a cab. It just doesn't feel like that $250 million driver stimulus that Uber was touting last month has made much of an impact. Empty Hertz lots have been a multi-episode arc here on Travel Commons, and it doesn't look like it's going to go away anytime soon. Rental car companies dumped cars during a historically high used car market to generate the cash that they needed really to save them at the start of the pandemic. Hertz dropped almost 200,000 vehicles in the back half of 2020, while Avis's fleet shrunk about 31%. But now that travel has snapped back faster than anyone expected, these Rental car companies are in a real bind because manufacturers, auto manufacturers, can't make cars fast enough because of chip shortages. And so this combination of these two, bad Uber and Lyft and no rental cars, is really a hell of a pincer movement on a lot of returning travelers because pre-pandemic, they'd all ditched rental cars for the convenience of Uber. And now coming back, They've got neither. Uh, I have to tell you, I plan to do a good bit of walking when I'm in Miami next week. DMV, Department of Motor Vehicles, DMV managers across the country must have breathed a sigh of relief when they saw Homeland Security announcing yet another delay in real ID enforcement for air travel, this time all the way out to May 2023. Now, I remember back in 2019, more than a year before the original October 2020 enforcement date, the warning signs went up at TSA desks in airports, and immediately there were predictions of mass chaos. And I have to tell you, I was one of them. Back at episode 155 in September 2019, I said, note to self, don't book any travel in October 2020. But then six months later in March 2020, as COVID shut down DMV offices, along with the rest of the economy, DHS Department of Homeland Security made the obvious call to kick that deadline down the road a year to October 2021. Actually, I remember my first post-lockdown flight in June of last year. The TSA desks at Midway still had the old 2020 signs up. A few months back, some friends had to go renew their driver's licenses and so figured they'd get the real ID version. After some eight hours of queuing at a just-reopened suburban Chicago DMV, they got their Gold Star IDs and were good to go for October travel. Last month, a little alarm bell went off in the back of my head saying, you know, that deadline is six months away. You need to start thinking about this. But just as I started to think about it, the news hit my Twitter feed, delayed not for just a year, but as I said, to 2023, to May 2023, which ends up being right at about 18 years after Real ID was signed into law. I mean, at what point is Real ID past its best use by date, if not already? 
Many of us lost track of these peripheral travel bits during the lockdown. Last month, we were driving our daughter Claire to O'Hare for a flight to Philadelphia. Uh, in the back seat, she pulled up her boarding pass on American's mobile app and said, Hey, I, I don't have pre-check. Huh, well, I don't know. Maybe there's something wonky with the app, I told her. Hit a kiosk if you have time and pull another boarding pass. Turns out because of construction traffic on the Kennedy, she didn't have time, but the regular TSA line was short, so it wasn't a problem. But the same thing happened on her flight home, on Southwest this time. Okay, so now it's not a res system glitch. She logged into the TSA website. Her global entry, which includes pre-check, had expired a few months back, which then prompted Irene to log in. She was expiring that day. So she immediately hit the renew button, which then had her spend the next 30 minutes reconstructing our travel history for the last five years, because that's a key part of the uh, application. Thank God for cell phone photo archives. So all that, I figured I ought to check mine too. Logging in was a bit of a hassle. I had to create a new account at login.gov, some federated government login that's replaced the TSA login. Once in, I saw my expiration date wasn't until the end of this year. So I'll start thinking about it six months from then. So I don't know, maybe June or July. United Airlines CEO said searches for flights to Europe jumped 19 percent after the head of the European Union said vaccinated U.S. travelers would be allowed into the EU this summer. And shortly after that, United put on new summer flights to Iceland, Croatia and Greece, certainly not business travel destinations. I had actually already placed my bet on the U.K. opening by Thanksgiving. Actually, I was repeating the same bet I had placed about this time last year when cash and frequent when flyer prices just cratered uh, after the travel lockdown hit. I'd booked O'Hare to Heathrow flights on American for 30,000 points each. And when I had to cancel those in September, the agent, the American agent said, wow, that's a great deal. I was like, yeah, I know. The price of this year's bet has gone up. It's 50% higher. But with the U.S. and U.K. vaccination rates being what they are, I think it's a better shot that that bet's going to pay off. The riskier bet was plunking down a deposit on a bike trip to Italy in mid-October. There was a lot of, it's non-refundable, so buy our trip insurance language in bold italic font on the website. So I went back and re-listened to episodes 163 and 173 where we talked about travel insurance, and then I dug deep into the insurance rider for the tour provider's insurance and also the travel insurance that I'd get for free if I charge the uh, tour on my Amex card or my Chase Sapphire card. One hour and a couple of three-column tables later, I first threw out the Amex insurance. It was just sorely lacking. Then, comparing the tour company with Chase, neither of them offered cancellation coverage if, uh, I don't know, what, a fifth wave of COVID? I've lost count. If a, if a new wave of COVID causes Italy to close its borders again. Running through the rest of the comparison, the tour company offered a bit more, but not enough, at least to me, to justify the additional $760 cost for Irene and me. So I charge the deposit on the Sapphire card, and I'm hoping for the best. And hey, if you've got any travel stories, questions, comments, tips, rants, the voice of the traveler, send them along to comment, C-O-M-M-E-N-T-S at travelcommons.com, or you can always send a Twitter message to M. Peacock, post your thoughts on the Travel Commons Facebook page or Instagram page, or you can always post your comments on the website at travelcommons.com.
So the first topic on today's Travel Commons podcast is how are local tour guides doing? This is a topic where I need to upfront state my priors. I don't do well with structure when I travel. Well, let me refine that a bit. I don't do well with other people applying structure on me when I travel. I don't cruise. I've always hated forced team-building outings during company sales meetings, and I cringe whenever I run across tour guides walking backwards, reciting factoids to trailing lines of people tethered to them through wireless headphones. To be honest, I I guess I look down on it all. I, I can do better, I think. I can be more authentic. I can do it more authentically with my own research. But perhaps that's really more pride, maybe a bit of cheapness talking than real facts. I've had great experiences with small tours. Way back in episode 105, eight years ago, always amazes me how long I've done this, and quite honestly amazes me even more how long many of you have been listening. But anyhow, eight years ago, I talked about a couple of private tours that completely adjusted my attitude. A tour through Saigon with an ex-South Vietnamese army officer, a food market tour in Madrid, a wine tour in Priorat. They were phenomenal. They were great days. But I set them all up through second-degree connections, friends recommending other friends or acquaintances. So unless you have a lot of friends with connections in places that you really want to visit, that word-of-mouth model doesn't scale. Which leads me to this episode's guest, Paul Melhus, CEO and founder of Tours by Locals, a private tours marketplace. I talked with Paul about the local tour market, how he fared during the COVID travel meltdown, and what things look like from his vantage point as we're coming out on the other side. So, Paul, help us understand your marketplace, how helping travelers search and book for local tours. This is a space that had a lot of startup activity, let's say five years ago, where everybody was peer-to-peer tour marketers and the Uber of local tours. And now, though, it seems that we got a mix of large companies, Airbnb experiences, Viator, and then smaller folks kind of offering a broad range of tours like yourself, get your guide, and then some specialized niches and things like food, eat with. And then uh, last episode, we talked with Rob Cheshire about what he's doing in This Week in Craft Beer. So help us understand the market space, Paul. Tours by Locals is a platform, and our goal is to connect independent tour guides with independent travelers who want to have that kind of unique experience. I've often wondered why it is that we seem to have been successful. We started in 2008. Somehow we've managed to thrive, and we always started right from the get-go to make sure that the guides that were on our site were competent, qualified, able to do what they said they would do. So we feel like our network of, uh, we're at 4,700. 150 odd guides right now is a curated list. So that curation, it's not so much the Uber for uh, local tours, maybe the Angie's list for local tours. Yeah, I guess. Yeah, that's a good idea. Because I think a lot of other companies, they just went out and tried to get a lot of guides and they didn't really worry too much about making sure that every one of them is going to be quality, uh, responsive. That's a big thing. And then it's the consistency of everybody knows how it works. In some cases, especially if the tour is more high value, like we have some 
safaris in Africa, for example, where the customer will pay $23,000. And the guide, in order to deliver that tour, they can't fund all of that on their own account. So we advance them funds. But, you know, if things were to go south, well, we're here to, uh, and we have done that in the past, refund the traveler because who knows, maybe there was some weather-related event that caused the thing to get canceled. And then, you know, so we're out the, you know, five or $6,000, but the customer gets, is made made whole type of thing. So so there's really two things that you're offering above and beyond just the search and book. So you're offering mm-hmm. curation and you're offering escrow. So you're taking some of that un- uncertainty in both of those areas, uncertainty about the qualification and then uncertainty about performance. You guys are taking that on. Paul, you talked about covid uh, how has this curated network of tour guides held up through COVID? Right now on our maximum number of tour guides listed on the site was just over 5,000. And that was, you know, in February of last year. And now we're at 4,750, I think. So not huge. And we have a, a status of tour guide called on hold. For the time being, I don't want to be on the site, but I, I want to be able to come back once it's safe. For an example, we had a guide in Denmark who had an elderly mother, and she just didn't want to be out there with people because she had to look after her parent. You Makes know? sense. So, so these people, uh, we're actually, we have a project right now to contact all of these people and see about getting them back on the site. The other thing that offset the, the loss was rather than laying all of our staff off, we repurposed them and tried to infill a lot of the smaller destinations, the Nashvilles, Flagstaff, Arizona, mm-hmm. oh, and of course, Yellowstone National Park. Our sales up 1,300% over 2019 levels, which was a good year. So uh, That was the trend uh, last fall, and I think going into the spring was oh, everybody really, wanted to do outdoor stuff, right? Yeah. Now that people have got their vaccines, they want to travel and the easiest place to travel is domestically. So we're seeing a real boost in uh, U.S. travel. What do you see around trends? Are you seeing that uptick? And where is it? Like a metric that we track very closely is the conversion rate of our tour guides. So if we send them an inquiry from a traveler, what percentage of those inquiries turn into a booking? We've noticed that the um, conversion rate is about half of what it was in 2019. Because normally a, a a good guide converts about 40% to the inquiries, and now it's fallen down to about 20%. There's a lot of dreamers out there. That's what we're thinking. So There's a lot of people shopping, but mm-hmm. they're, they're not buying yet. Not quite yet. Now, basically, there's the, the people that are booking are kind of falling them into two buckets. Normally, we would have kind of a nice smooth curve of not too many short notice bookings, and then it would be a bulge and then tail off uh, farther out. But what we're finding is that people are booking within a like a two week window, so short notice, or they're booking into 2022. And we recently extended our booking calendar out 26 months. And that's driven some surprisingly long-term bookings. It's that middle that's missing. And I think that's where they want to go. But until such time as you can actually get on a plane and happily go to London without having a 14-day quarantine when you show up, people are just not going to do it. Super. Paul Paul Mellos, CEO of Tours by Locals. Thank you very much for uh, taking the time to talk to us here at the Travel Commons. Great. Thanks very much, Mark. Have a great day. (music) 
second topic on today's Travel Commons podcast is rebuilding travel muscles. Frequent travelers, road warriors, mostly sitting at home for the past 15 months, certainly not heading to the airport every week or two, uh, our travel muscles have atrophied. That rhythm, that cadence, that confidence that separated us from all those regular travelers, well, that and premier status lines and lounge access, which also physically separated us. I noticed this loss of travel muscle tone a bit on my trips to Tucson and San Diego over the past couple of months. I had to think a lot harder about those trips, what to pack, when to leave, things that were second nature to me, say, 18 months ago when I was traveling every week to Charlottesville, Virginia or Phoenix. And even on personal travel to Poland, Hungary, Estonia, Finland, I had everything down. On the road, I had my groove. Pretty much all my traveling friends breathed a sigh of relief during, say, the first six to eight months of lockdown, first happy to be home and safe, then sort of settling in, enjoying the extended family time, picking up some new hobby. Look, even frequent travelers weren't immune from the sourdough craze. But toward the end of the year, I could pick up a bit of antsiness in our conversations. And now, vaccines in arms, I'm seeing people getting back out on the road, beginning to rebuild those travel muscles. It's been a pretty quick snapback, actually. Remember, back in December, people like Bill Gates were saying to large virtual conferences that 50% of business travel would disappear and video conferencing was now the new normal. I think the big ramp up in vaccination rates kind of flipped the script. Again, back in December, the euphoria of vaccine approvals, that euphoria was quickly overwritten by the depressing logistics of manufacturing ramp ups and cold chain distribution. But now, five months later, people are again sitting across desks and conference tables from each other, initially masked, but then quickly running through each other's vaccination statuses and comfort levels so they feel safe dropping their masks and getting on with the business. Now, this new normal feels like it's trending pretty quickly back to the old normal, at least for one-on-one meetings. Larger meetings and public spaces can't do these same ad hoc negotiations. But that's enough for a start. Those same friends of mine who were loving their cocoons and sourdough recipes last year are looking to break out now. Like me, They tend to have pretty short attention spans, and travel gives them that change, the external stimulus they need, new places with new people to see and new things to do. The seating chart for my flight down to Miami tomorrow morning shows a full flight and is already asking for volunteers to take a later flight. And this for a 7 a.m. Monday morning flight. First flight out, the standard business traveler choice. Yeah, I think a lot of people are getting back into that rhythm. Okay, that's it. That is the end of Travel Commons podcast number 175. I hope you all enjoyed the show. I hope you decide to stay subscribed. As I said before, the new website makes it a lot easier to subscribe. There's a drop-down menu at the top of each page, a set of subscribe links on the bottom, and a big red subscribe button in the middle of the home page. You can use all those buttons, links, and menus, or you can just search for us on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Stitcher, SoundCloud, Google Podcasts, and Amazon Music. Or you can ask Alexa, Siri, or Google to play Travel Commons on your smart speakers and across the bottom of each page on the 
website, you'll find links to the Travel Commons socials, Facebook, Twitter, Instagram. If you've already subscribed, how about leaving us a review on one of those sites? Or better yet, tell someone about Travel Commons. That word of mouth thing with everybody and their mother starting up a podcast, it's really, really, it's the only way for people to find Travel Commons. Actually, here's a quick outtake from last episode's conversation with Rob Cheshire telling me how he discovered Travel Commons. In 2007, I was working for a guy who I can distinctly remember the conversation. He said, oh, you know, I'd, I'd listen to these podcasts. He sort of told me what it was. And I think, oh, that's really interesting. So, so I, I think at the time, I think I had an iPod, not an iPod Touch. I think I had an iPod Nano or Mini. So that was the first device I had. And you had to, you had to download the podcast into iTunes and then transfer them over mm-hmm. manually onto your yeah. device. It's a real pain in the ass. But I found your podcast pretty quickly. So, so I can remember two podcasts in those early days was This Week in Tech, uh, obviously mm-hmm. Leo Laporte, yeah. which is you know still going strong. And I found your podcast pretty shortly <laughs> after that, I think. And you know, and, and I've listened to it ever since. And so you were basically the only person that was living the same life that I was, basically, <laughs> as far as I could see. You know, we were just, you know, you lived in airports and hotels and rental car lots and eating in restaurants on your own and, you know, and, and moaning about things that nobody else cared about. You know, that was basically a good description. <laughs> I may, I may steal that. Yeah. <laughs> and, you know, and it was great. And so, so and I still listen to it today. Now, look, I'm not doing Patreon or trying to figure out Apple's new podcast page subscription. So if you like this podcast and would like to support it, just please recommend it to one or two of your friends, maybe folks who traveled a lot before COVID and now maybe they're getting back out on the road or maybe folks who wish they could travel a lot. I Look, I'd really appreciate it. And again, if you have a story, thought, comment, gripe, the voice of the traveler, send them along, text or audio file. Quite honestly, I haven't gotten an audio file and I can't remember how long. But send them, whatever, to comment, C-O-M-M-E-N-T-S at TravelCommons.com and Peacock on Twitter. Write them on the Travel Commons pages on Facebook or Instagram or post them on the website at TravelCommons.com. Thanks to everyone who has taken the time to send in emails, tweets, post comments on the website. I really appreciate it. And hey, look, until we talk again, take care, travel safe. Thanks for stopping by the Travel Commons. Bye now. Bye.